Uh, Udin, uh, you know, we got a good uh, overview on the background of the Indian pharma industry. So, uh, but what are, what are the, uh, you know, today, what are the strengths of the Indian pharma for the industry as such? So, uh, let me take you back a little. The, uh, if you look at the pharma value chain, you start with uh, intermediates, advanced intermediates, then you go to APIs, then you go to finished dosage form. You move on to uh, things like new chemical entities or NCEs, uh, biotechnology, biosimilars. Uh, now there are new things which be, which are being added, which means uh, much better improved delivery systems and uh, targeted drugs, personal care drugs, etc. So India uh, strength lies, unfortunately, in the top in the in the bottom three. So we are very strong in all, all three of those. In fact, intermediates is new and it's been developing only in the last five or 10 years. But as far as APIs manufacturing and finished dosage form manufacturing is concerned, we are very strong there. And uh, our strengths uh, are A, uh, we have become experts uh, as far as reverse engineering is concerned in any kind of, whether it is being molecular chemistry, biochemistry, medicinal chemistry, we have mastered that task. I mean, most the toughest uh, product is thrown at Indian industry and we managed to find a way out of it. Uh, second strength is that uh, we are really, uh, I think uh, it goes along with the reverse engineering skills is process chemistry part of it. Third, I would say is that there is a tremendous amount of entrepreneurial skin in India. So. Uh, if you really see how the Indian industry has developed, uh, Aurobindo uh, started, uh, Dr. Ram Prasad Reddy, who is the CMD of Aurobindo, used to work with a company called SOL. So similarly, there are many people who actually left these stalwarts and then started out. So today you see these other companies like Hetero Drugs, Aurobindo Drugs, uh, for that matter, even Lupin and all, all the, the these people, they started off from somewhere else and then they went on to become big giants themselves so uh, and this is this is a great thing to have happened and it is it's crossed various levels so today you have the same things going on at levels of 50 crores plus at 500 crores plus at 2000 crores plus and 1 billion dollar plus so you are finding these kind of uh, development uh, going on and the third biggest advantage i see is that our knowledge of the language uh, for us, it has been a boon, actually, that we most of us were educated with an English background, especially in the science subjects. As a result of that, when Indian industry tries to export its products to the world market, most of the regulated agencies, whether it is the United States, whether it is the Japanese PMDA, whether it's the European Union, the Russian MOH or UK MHRA, all these agencies expect that the documentation should be clear, concise, and properly written, articulate enough for anybody to understand. And that's where India's strength is as compared to China. Chinese people, unfortunately, have a pictorial language and when they try to convert it into English, sometimes they make certain very grave errors. More than that, the, uh, we have been taught the language, uh, we have been taught the sciences in this language. So medium, right? Regulatory medium compliance levels, the quality of our regulatory documentation is has been excellent, actually, I would say. And uh, 
one more very important aspect of clear lens is that our overheads are much lower than many parts of the world even compared to china our mm-hmm. overheads are lesser compared to the world's largest market which is the united states and the japanese market which is the most sophisticated market our overheads are approximately 35% and 60% lower respectively with respect to usa and to japan the japan is a high cost economy so even right. if we take that out of contention it's focused just on the european union and on usa and we are at least 30% lower than either of them on an average now that is a competitive edge that is a huge competitive edge which we have so despite the low cost uh, and low overheads uh, you know uh, do we have a strong credibility in terms of quality of the products that we make we now have a very strong credibility and that's the reason why I, when i was sharing with you the numbers like 40% of the generic market in the united states of america is catered to by indian companies making right. the drugs in india so right. a few years back there was this um, big duaha about a book written by an american regulator and this was about called the bottle of lies it was about the renbaxi stories but unfortunately nobody picked up the battle on behalf of renbaxi and also put across the points why such things actually happen this is a constant battle going on venkat it's very difficult to pinpoint who has won which who has lost which but this is a ongoing battle and will probably not stop till all these drug industries actually set up offices set up r&d centers in india and understand the local challenges and understand why indians went about doing reverse engineering why the government of india decided that we will have um, the open patent uh, open license scheme that we will manufacture even if there is a patent existing if it is to benefit the indian population Yeah, but why would why would they like to understand, right? I mean, what is what is the incentive for them to understand? Because at the right, because at the end of the day, you cannot ignore a one point three billion population. You yeah, cannot. so they 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 can still not understand, just you know they, live you know, with it. it. They will live with it. They, I think you put it better. They will learn to live with it over a period of time. They learn to live with it, and secondly, they also cannot deny the fact that the kind of capacities which exist now. Uh, in india especially in the finished dosage form and the quality of documentation is very high and there are also number of companies within the united states especially second tier b tier and c tier companies which are actually been bought by indian companies or indian uh, entrepreneurs so one expects that over a period of time many of these regulatory bodies many of these large corporations will be manned by senior indians in various places and therefore the, the culturally they would be closer to India and China depends, but yeah. Um, I mean, there's one a, more thing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. A, you know, uh, but related to that, I would probably talk about that. That you know, um, we have a large uh, uh, sort of manpower pool in that regard, right? Uh, scientific manpower, especially uh, pharma chemistry, chemistry, organic chemistry, and so on and so forth. So, um, is it? Uh, It, beyond the numbers um, how good have they been i mean you have you have talked about their ability to you know in terms of uh, uh, come out with alternate processes and so on so i respect that from from those people but other than that uh, you know is it only the few people who, uh, you know or is it there's a um, talent from top to bottom how would you rate that see the uh, let's talk of the um, the value chain first so 
whether it is uh, you you start with drug discovery mm -hmm. then you start with the process the manufacturing process and the manufacturing process itself has many steps so you first make the api then you convert it into the finished dosage form it doesn't end there then there are issues regarding logistics and handling because every drug cannot be handled in the same way you can't put it in a box and export it or sell it after covid we all know about that <laughs> and then and the vaccines were to be stored at low temperatures right? absolutely and then it comes to the whole concept of selling it so selling and distribution in the pharma industry has a very different connotation as compared to retail yeah absolutely there is a high there is a high degree of applications engineering required so if you find that a medical representative in a country let's say like mexico or turkey has to go with an indian drug and compare it with the counterpart uh, let's say from gsk or from bms or from pfizer he has to bring out lot of studies he has to show the doctor or the clinical uh, physician that this is how the studies went and this is the efficacy this is the impact of side effects the clinical phase 3 clinical phase 4 studies etc so you need expertise what i meant was that you need expertise in all these before that when you actually start selling the first part of the selling is the submission of the documents to a particular country so if you are exporting an api you have to submit what is known as a drug master file and the drug master file is the bible of the entire product its chemistry its physics its appearance its degradation in light in exaggerated ag aggravated conditions temperature, temperature moisture etc etc the raw material supplies uh, where they have come from and whether they have been validated in uh, under gmp conditions etc it's it's a very detailed document it goes over thousands of pages in certain cases in case you have made the product you also need to put it in stability studies so it requires a huge amount of Uh, patience investment you have to keep the product for uh, we actually store our drugs for 5 years so that we have a real time stability data for 5 years and at every station of 3 months our scientists and our technicians actually measure the original product versus uh, and they try to plot any kind of degradation which might have occurred during this period 5 years 3 months sincerely honestly with as much of fidelity as possible compiling of that data and then submission of that data now the same goes for the finished dosage form so you can well imagine how elaborate and how meticulous the the uh, task is and for this you need a very high degree of skill so when you ask whether we have skilled chemists we have skilled chemists we have skilled technicians and um, i always uh, maybe it's a habit it has become a habit i always uh, worry that why isn't india investing more in this in the upper end of the industry like why are we not making the instruments because we have very good instrument scientists in india so whether it is an nmr india doesn't make nmrs you know this is for uh, uh, defining the crystalline structure yeah. of a product or whether it is a gc or an hplc now we we buy all these instruments but believe me when i say so when we send our scientists to uh, let's say agilent uh, in singapore for training on some of those uh, uh, gas chromatography equipment and this happens very often because when you buy new equipment they allow you that you can send two of your they eventually find that it is indians who are training whether it is in hong kong or in singapore or in sydney or in usa it is eventually they find that it is the indian technicians who are actually giving them training 
most of the cases. I'm not saying they aren't. So what I'm trying to say is that there is strength in India in across this entire range. It's not just the chemistry process. That's the glamorous end of it. But the back end of it is the people who make the documentation, who do all the microbial studies, who do all the stability studies, who compile the data. So we have good expertise. I am very happy that uh, we, we have a huge manpower which is killed across the range, right from here to there. So let's talk about some of the uh, weaknesses, right? So mm -hmm. what are the weaknesses of Indian uh, pharma industry? Uh, I think the biggest weakness which stares at us is our challenge uh, from China, which also happens to be our largest competitor. So Indian drug industry uh, went through various phases. So sometimes in the 1990s, when we actually started seriously looking at the world and we started developing reverse engineering, reverse engineered processes and started putting our drugs in the market, we got very caught up in that. And perhaps we never stopped and we never looked back that what are we doing? So we based almost all our uh, chemistry, all our uh, products were based largely on basic products which were coming from two sources. The largest source was China. And then the second source was Europe. There were several other manufacturers in Europe who were also. Over a period of time, it has largely become only China. And today, I think there are some initiatives which are coming up from the government of India. Those initiatives, in my opinion, are about 10, 15 years uh, too late. But having said that, uh, better late than never. So we are working on those uh, on that particular weakness to build strength in our own uh, uh, our own capability, uh, especially in the field of intermediates, basic intermediates. There are certain things on which uh, we really need to have uh, industry-wide, uh, uh, you know, it's across industry forums are required. And this can only happen under the auspices of the central government or the Department of Pharmaceuticals. So that's another weakness that we have never really got around. Uh, we have never wrapped our heads around that. So if the pharma industry calls a meet, you will eventually find only people from the pharma industry there. Whereas in my opinion, we should have people from the steel industry there. We should have people from uh, instrumentation electronics there. Uh, we should have people from biotechnology there so that there is an overall, you have an overall look. So that's another weakness that in terms of policy, while we have good policy with respect to specific industry, we don't have, uh, uh, I, I, I had a discussion with one of our classmates, uh, Tushar, who's, as you know, was big time into steel. So we, we, were discussing this, back, yeah. we were discussing this in the offices of the Secretary of the Government of India for Pharmaceuticals some months back. And uh, we were debating the question that even if India wants to become big in scientific instruments or delivery devices, etc., do we have the materials for those? Do we have those alloys? Do we have that steel? Do we have the ability to build those composites? And the answer, unfortunately, is no. So that's a, that's a weakness. And um, right. we hope that we did make a, enough sound that day, me and Tushar. Right. Right. Probably right. there will be more such meetings now. So back to the pharma raw materials. So what you're saying is, if I understood you correctly, India is not self-reliant 
and especially for key farmer raw materials is that correct yeah, yeah. and uh, that would also mean that uh, china if you know if progresses further down the value chain uh, i'm sure they are making but then if they want to strengthen that area they would be much more price competitive because they have a better control over the um, early stage raw materials is that correct uh it it, it used to be traditionally that, and initially Indian industry did suffer a bit on that account. But very quickly we realized what our strength was, and our strength was the compliance. So if you really look at India's $20 billion of exports, 4 billion is API, and the balance is vaccines and finished dosage forms, et cetera, et cetera. Hmm. Now, Chinese numbers are, I would say, bigger than ours, no doubt about it. But then they also, if you see the average price that we fetch on any product, whether it is the finished dosage or the API, is between 15 to 25% more. So on APIs, we face inevitably, we always fetch 10 to 15% higher. And I do it day in and day out. So I am I'm talking from a position of uh, knowing the market. And we do it, we don't even need to say that, listen, you cannot compare us with China. Most customers in the regulated world know that Indians are known for, there is a term in our industry and that is called OTAC, on time and uh, on time, uh, uh, accept, accepted uh, uh, quality. Hmm. That means that yeah. the quality is uh, consistent to what the original listing was given and you're delivering on time. Now these become issues because people buy, they have a schedule, whether it is running their production lines, whether it is their launch in the market, they have ERP systems which run very smoothly and they don't want upheavals in that. What happened last year was terrible for many countries. I'll talk about it later as one of the threats which is coming up. So they want stability, they want consistency. So for that, they pay a higher price. So therefore, that is where India, despite the fact that we are not strong in several key raw materials, we still manage to get a better price. Then. So uh, over uh, what time period do you think this advantage, competitive advantage, OTA, EQ, uh, OTAC, competitive advantage is sustainable? Can we sustain it for next five years, 10 years? Because uh, what happens if China systematically, uh, you know, wants to chisel that? So uh, I, I, I can't say that China is not already caught up on, uh, on some of the things with us. But what I feel is that we now have a head start. So sure. that's typically talking of OTAC. Now, where is it reflected actually in business? Because of consistency, one of the things which, uh, I mean, actually the Q part is quality consistency. Yep. It's not yeah. Q as in. So because of the consistency aspects, you will find when you knock on the doors of several customers in uh, USA, whether these are these big chains, um, Walgreens, et cetera, which buy medicines or uh, um, Green Cross, uh, the several chains which buy Cardinal Health, et cetera. Uh, they believe that their focus is the supply. Their strength is the supply chain, the logistics. And therefore they don't want any upheavals in that. And nowhere along the line do they want any kind of recall. So two years back, there was a particular hypertension drug uh, which went through huge upheaval because they discovered that 
there were some traces of a carcinogenic compound uh, produced within the drug manufacturing process. And these big companies had to, had to force the Chinese manufacturers to recall. And the whole pharmaceutical industry, this is 2018 I'm talking about, the whole pharmaceutical industry went through an upheaval because of that, because their supply chains were totally disrupted. They just didn't know how to deal with that kind of a problem. It was something which they had never even anticipated that this could happen. Right. So as we go along, they are finding that it is easier to rely on Indian suppliers because they tend to take care of these aspects as compared to our competitors. Okay. So that, that brings up another concern that I have. Uh, you know, uh, if we are so much dependent on the uh, pharma raw materials from them, there could be many forms of supply chain risk that Indian pharmaceutical industry would also be facing, right? So uh, are there initiatives that, that we are having in India and what are the you know missing pieces? What are the good pieces? Can give us some examples. The good pieces are that the government of India has a kind of uh, really become very active in it. And we have had a couple of very uh, well-intentioned and very focused uh, policy measures coming up from the government of India. And one of them came up as late as last day, which was the uh, uh, promotion of Indian industry, which was done primarily with the purpose of uh, de-risking our over-reliance on Chinese materials. Uh, uh, government is also promising that they will give in the incentive to the industry for you know, setting up of these kind of industries so that we de-risk our supply chain. At the same time, there are certain gaps which are left. Along with us, there are many other companies in the country who are called regularly by government officials for interactions, et cetera, at different times. We meet informally, formally, whenever we do meet, we put our point across. And the purpose of this is to fill up the missing uh, gaps, as you say. So for example, if we look at a product like penicillin, now India is totally reliant as far as uh, penicillin supply is concerned on China. To build penicillin supplies in India requires an overall view. And that overall view means that penicillin production is a, it's a fermentation process, it's a bio process, and therefore it is very power intensive. Mm -hmm. And the ambient temperature also makes a lot of difference. Because if you try to produce penicillin in a place like Chennai with high humidity and high ambient temperature, it is not going to be successful. But if you set up a plant somewhere in the foothills of Himalaya, it is going to be very successful because that's where the world's first penicillin plant actually was set up. Rishikesh, in the Austrian. In, Austrian. No, in India, of course, in Rishikesh and IDPL, but um, actually in the world, it was Austria. Austria. It was just, you, you, you can well imagine the environment there. So things like that. So we do give these kind of inputs to the, to the government officials that look at it holistic way. Secondly, uh, there's another big product which is making a lot of noise nowadays. The Chinese are controlling the key raw material, which is paraminophenol, which goes into the production of paracetamol. Now, India is one of the largest producers of paracetamol, so much so that about six or seven years back, uh, one of the largest producers of paracetamol in India and uh, one of the largest producers of paracetamol in China entered into a joint venture. And this was the first of its kind. I mean, it's about seven or eight years back, if I remember correctly. 
but you know instead of taking that as an example and saying or rather promoting that during the trade talks with china on a government to government level i think somewhere we lost the plot that is what should have been happening that is should have that should have been happening on a daily basis where the indian government or the trade officials should have been convincing the chinese counterparts that listen your strength is this why don't you build on that and let us build on this and let's work hand in hand let's work hand in hand so today india is suffering from paraminophenol we may have a few plants which will come up to start manufacturing uh, these kind of phenols but why china is strong in paraminophenol because they make certain kinds of uh, paraminophenol for them is actually a kind of a by product which comes from something which they make for the fertilizer industry so that's where if you have a think tank where people from the chemicals fertilizers pharmaceuticals manufacturing see there are there are certain kinds of for example uh, reactor vessels etc will require a particular kind of alloy that alloy is not available in india it may be worthwhile to call a representative of steel authority or general steel or somebody and ask them that could you do this it's not that india is not capable of doing metallurgy we have very good metallurgy expertise but can you do this on a commercial scale so that we don't have to wait for the world to supply us this kind of composite materials or this kind of alloy alloy steel so this is what i am talking about so we are on the right track is what i would say but yes we still have a lot of catching up to do so unless we constantly keep on tweaking our policy and keep on building on that uh, some of these initiatives may not take off Nice. What about uh, what about putting these things together, like you know, in the context of like you know, when you talk about cross industry and so on. Uh, uh, what about having you know uh, R and Ds and uh, knowledge centers and things like that, so that all of these can come together? Yeah, in fact, that's one of the key things which uh, I believe should be happening. So actually, so we are weak in that. Uh, that's we also are weak, weak in that, that. but again. Uh, let me assure you that there is thinking going on uh, on this direction in the government of india because last time i happened to have a discussion with very senior official in the ministry department of pharmaceuticals i was advised that the government of india is coming out or has already come out with a basic policy for setting up three such uh, technology parks now okay. interesting it's good it's well thought out and i could see because when the gentleman was talking he was addressing quite a few of the key issues that there will be not just a skill development center there will be r and d incubator cells but uh, uh, i don't want to uh, deflate this effort but compare that with poland you know a small country with daily a population of about 27 28 million people there is there are 16 such centers just between the city of warsaw and krakow these are just two cities so and they are nowhere on the world map of pharmaceuticals and india is so huge as compared to them we are so huge as compared to them i mean their total pharmaceutical spend is just about 5 or 6 billion we are 40 billion our healthcare spend is expected to touch 300 billion i mean we are fast but in comparison to that we are talking still talking of only about three or four nipers that is the institute of pharmaceutical education and research and these are centers of excellence i i we have one in mohali from which we hire on a regular basis which is very good uh, similarly there are there are quite a few more there is one in hyderabad there is one in gwalior etc etc uh, 
what I mean is that there have to be 20 of those. And what I mean is that along with those, uh, many years ago, uh, I used to, I was on a project working with the Indian Institute of Science in Bangalore, and they had set up a, a strategic uh, uh, small uh, incubator uh, uh, section where industry was being invited and they would hire out the, they would wet lease the facility, which had everything there, the instrument, there was a central instrumentation cell. So you could use their, you know, headspace GC, you could use their NMR, you, they had all the latest equipments and instruments, and they were trying to promote that. Now you need multiplication of that by a hundred times everywhere. Every big city, small city in India needs that. You cannot have just one CDRI and one Indian Institute of Science standard. And if you have them, then you need to, big, uh, to, to develop technology hubs around it. So our recommendation to the government of India would be that when you set up this uh, knowledge center or knowledge park or technology park focused on pharma, build a pharma hub around it, ensure that there are incentives given. So like you have a policy for export promotion zones. So similarly, there could be policies so till some time back, the government of India, the taxation laws allowed us to write off our R&D expenses, but those have been changed. Similarly, there was a huge amount of incentive being given to uh, for promotion of exports. So there was this category called MEIS scheme under which we could we would get uh, two to three percent benefit along with the drawback. Now these incentives are slowly being converted or changed or reduced. Now, these will not really, uh, you know, I think they should be promoted rather than decreased, especially in certain key industries. If India is exporting $20 billion worth of pharmaceutical products to the world, and that figure is expected to touch somewhere about 70, 70 billion by the year 2035. Now, you're not talking of a small amount. Even today, out of total exports, India's total exports of about 300 odd billion dollars, $20 billion is just one single industry. And I'm not even talking of services. I'm just purely talking of just these two things, finished dosage forms, which come in the form of medicines and vaccines and APIs. There's nothing Excellent. more than that. Excellent point, Zuday. And I think uh, we would soon, uh, you know, get into discussions about the opportunities that they could uh, look at. So, so I think um, very good discussions on the strengths as well as the weaknesses. Thank you for joining us in yet another episode of Move Conversations. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the Move Conversations YouTube channel and press the bell icon to get notifications of new episodes. Thank you very much. Till I see you in the next episode. Thank you very much. Have a great day.